This episode of the Planet Microcap podcast is brought to you by Friedman LLP, a top 40 global accounting, tax, and business consulting and advisory firm, providing a full spectrum of services for public and private companies since 1924. Contact Friedman when you will need to raise capital and adhere to U.S. standards. The Friedman partners will work diligently with you to provide the financial assurance, regulatory, and transactional services you need. When the stakes are highest, Friedman makes sure you are well equipped. For more information and to get a Friedman free consultation, please call 856-830-1660 or email Neil Levine at N-L-E-V-I-N-E at FriedmanLLP.com. Again, for more information and a free consultation, call 856-830-1660 or email Neil Levine at N-L-E-V-I-N-E at FriedmanLLP.com. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast. Welcome to the Planet Microcap Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft, and thank you all so much for the support and for tuning in. You can follow Planet Microcap on Twitter at Bobby K. Kraft. That's B-O-B-B-Y-K-K-R-A-F-T. You're listening to episode 168. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to tweet at me or shoot me an email at rcraft at snnwired.com. And when you do get a chance, if you like what you hear, please rate and review Planet Microcap on iTunes. It really helps provide feedback for me and spread the microcap message. We are two weeks away from the Planet Microcap Showcase virtual on April 20 through 22nd, 2021. The full agenda is now live and I am just, I'm so stoked. We're doing an epic Planet Microcap value after hours, a crossover event with Tobias Carlisle, Jake Taylor, Bill Brewster with special guest, Ian Castle. Our, another panel we got is investing in the obscure with in the in the market trenches hosts featuring Dave Waters, Stephen Keel, Marcus Frampton, and Tom Brazil. We're also doing an avoiding the crowd panel hosted by Monsway Dama. We're doing stock pitches uh, with Paul Andriola and some others. And then finally, I'm bringing back to life the Microcap Graduation Series uh, featuring, uh, we're, we're doing two episodes, one with Kurt Sorshak from Zbeck Adsorption and Hamed Shabazi from Well Technologies. I'll be sharing both of those interviews on this stream as well. So uh, we'll, we, have, we have many more exciting panel speakers and an epic lineup, lineup of presenting companies joining us as well. It's a uh, just beyond excited. So to participate and find the full details on the event, go to www.planetmicrocapshowcase.com and registration is open. So click the register button. Once you are there, you'll be able to have access to doing one-on-ones with our presenting companies. Listen to everything that we have, all the content, because so much content coming your way. So uh, I look forward to seeing you all there in a couple of weeks. 
For this episode of the Planet Microcap podcast, I spoke with Ethan Tucker. He is the editor of the Garp Investor blog at thegarpinvestor.com. And he's also better known as at the Garp Investor on Twitter. It was my first time meeting Ethan after following him for, for some time on Twitter. And we chat about all things Garp investing. Ethan also works with his family in commercial real estate business. And uh, we, we chat a little bit about that space, especially with what's going on uh, with, with COVID and the pandemic and whatnot. So thank you again for tuning in to episode 168 of the Planet Microcap podcast. And please enjoy my conversation with Ethan Tucker. Welcome back, everybody, to the Planet Microcap Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft. You can follow me on Twitter at Bobby K. Kraft, B-O-B-B-Y-K-K-R-A-F-T. And I'm very excited to introduce my guest today. This is his first podcast ever, all right? So let's cut him some, you know, cut me some slack. You know, and no, I'm just kidding. But we'll cut him some slack today. But I'm just so excited to have him on. Uh, I've been following him for a while on Twitter. And uh, we're going to learn about, uh, about some GARP investing. You know, you guys probably see some of these acronyms out there. So we're going to learn about GARPing. You know, and so with that, I'd like to introduce Ethan Tucker, the GARP investor. Ethan, thank you for joining me today. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well, thank you. All right, good to have you on. Wait, so I saw you're your based in Baltimore, right? Is yes, it- I'm out here in Baltimore, Maryland. Unfortunately, we've got a pretty rainy day out today, but sometimes sunny. Ah, East Coast Springs, you know, just... I know, it's... East Coast weather is always... It's just, it's just hit or miss. You have no idea. So, exactly. so I take. So you're also a sports fan. I, you know, we might as well get this out of the way now. So, are, what is it? Orioles, Ravens. Yeah, uh, big Baltimore Orioles and Ravens fan. And then I went to University of Maryland. So go Terps. We play uh, Saturday night in the tournament. Nice. Who, who are you guys playing? UConn. So UConn. we'll see how that goes. I mean, UConn's not. I mean, I don't follow college sports nearly as closely as professional sports, but I mean, mm-hmm. like, what what's been the vibe going on in, in in basketball this year? It's it seems like it's just been so well, hit or miss. Or yeah, it's been a weird year. Like, you know, the usual blue bloods: Duke, Kentucky are not so good this year, and then Gonzaga's really good. So I Duke's think not even in the tournament. We're gonna see year. a new name. Yeah, yeah, it's wild. It's so crazy. But uh, all right, okay, so we'll see up against UConn. We'll see what happens. You know, this could be a good game. I'm, I'm hopeful. I'll definitely be watching. I mean, I won't know. I filled out my bracket in full disclosure. I, Without knowing anything, I picked Illinois. But she, because I know that they got that one player who's like, I think he's, he was he had like the most triple doubles this year. So I just go by that mm-hmm. fact because that's how I built my fantasy well, team. I have Gonzaga beating Illinois. So we'll see what happens. Gonzaga beating Illinois. Okay. All right. So we're, we're thinking on the same page. All right, man. All right. Well, you know, I, I, how I usually start these things off, you know, of course, a little sports talk because we just have to mm-hmm. because I can't help myself. But um, and also I think who knows, I might be talking to, uh, you know, the Baltimore Ravens uh, kickers uh, a cousin potentially right now. Yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, no, me and no Justin Tucker are not related. Ah, bummer. Okay. All right. Well, I, I guess I won't be asking you for free NFL tickets when I'm in Baltimore. But um, no, but, <laughs> but but in all seriousness, you know, let, let's 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 take it back. You know, where where did your passion for investing begin, and and how did we get to where we're at today? 
Sure. So my dad was always in the business world. He was a nursing home developer. And along with that, he was involved in all kinds of other businesses. And then along with that, he was also investing in stocks and mutual funds and such. I would, he had wealth management with Morgan Stanley. I would come with him to his meetings with his stockbroker all the time. But growing up, I still didn't really know what I was doing. And then around the age of 19, my grandma, when I was born, she bought me a bond. And when I was 19, I was able to cash it in and it was worth about $10,000. And I used that as my starting point. And Thank you, grandma. Yeah, thank you, Bubby. Uh, <laughs> ah, yeah, <laughs> that was the bar. Wait, that wasn't the bar mitzvah check. That was the that was the bar. It was not thing. the bar mitzvah. No, this okay, was. Right. She bought it when I was born, and you know interest rates were a lot higher then. So my guess is she probably only put a couple thousand dollars into it. But by the time I was nineteen, it compound it compounded into ten thousand. So when I was nineteen, I cashed that check, and I decided to try my hand in the market and see what could happen. And I'm not sure if you're aware of the directions three times ETFs, but well, there are a bunch of ETFs you can buy that are essentially triples. So they'll follow different markets. You know, they'll follow the Russell 2000 or the S&P 500 and whatever result that has of the day, it'll triple it. So if the S&P is up 1%, that would return 3% a day. But if it's down one, it'll be down 3%. So it's already pretty leveraged. And then I took it a step further and went on margin for about double the amount of money I had. So I was, I had $10,000 in, I was borrowing an additional 10,000. So I was pretty leveraged to the moon. But when I first started out, I took that 10,000 and just in a few months, I tripled it and it made over 30, got it up to over $30,000. I thought I was on top of the world. I thought I knew what I was doing. And lo and behold, hubris always wins. The market took a tumble in about the span of one week. My portfolio went from over $30,000 down to around 5,000. Mm. And as you can imagine for a 20 year old, that was pretty gutting. And I thought about, you know, how many Chipotle burritos, how many beers could I have bought for $25,000? And after going through that, I knew, you know, I had to make a change. I had to just really go back and think about how I approached investing and what I wanted to do going forward. So, you know, I thought about, you know, what are some companies I know? What a what am I doing in my everyday? And I figured I'm going to put this money into a couple companies I know, see what happens. So when I was about 20 years old, I bought $2,700 worth of Google stock and I bought $2,800 worth of Apple stock. And today that $2,700 worth of Google is worth $16,000 and the $2,800 worth of Apple is worth $20,000. So I turned about $5,500 into 36,000 and I still hold all those shares today. And that was really the start of where, where I got myself going. Gotcha. So then, so when, when you decided to buy Apple and Google at that time, did you have some kind of 
investing philosophy or strategy that you were thinking about or like, you know what, I just want to buy names I know and I have some confidence will at least be around for some considerable amount of time. Yeah, I'd say at the time, I still didn't really know what I was doing, but I had heard, you know, buy what you know. I use Google every day. I had an Apple iPhone. All my friends had iPhones. And I said, I'm pretty confident these are good businesses. They're going to be around 10, 20 years from now. And I can be pretty confident. But as I said, I still didn't know what I was doing. But before I even got into it, my brother was a Buffett junkie. And he told me, he's like, if you really want to know what you're doing, start reading the Buffett letters. And around the time I graduated from college, just to take it a step backwards, I work in a family commercial real estate investing company. So it's just me, my dad, and my brother every day in the office. And my brother sat me down and he's like, I think you should read about Buffett. I think you'd like it, you'd be interested. So I started I started with the Buffett, Buffett partnership letters, even before Berkshire Hathaway, I read all those. And then I went through the Berkshire letters and then from Buffett, he, you know, he says, read Graham. So I read Security Analysis and The Intelligent Investor. By the way, The Intelligent Investor is how I got my name, The Garp Investor, play on that. And then, you know, classic from Graham, I went to Phil Fisher and read Common Stocks and Uncommon Profits. Then I went to Peter Lynch, you know, Beating the Street and What Up on Wall Street. And from there, you know, I just kept reading and reading and learning and learning from all kinds of other investors and started honing my style and just focusing in on, you know, what do I know? How can I put my knowledge to use and, you know, invest profitably for decades to come? Very cool. And I'll, I'm definitely going to be coming back to your day-to-day job and how, how that's affected you as an investor. I mean, because that's also just to talk to you about commercial real estate, because it's especially with COVID time, it's fascinating to, to learn a little bit yeah, more. It's, but yeah. It, what were you going to say? Sorry. I was going to say uh, COVID has really changed the game for commercial real estate, but we can get into that. Ah, fuck it. Let's stay right on it. I mean, that, we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll get to everything else. I mean, how, how, how has it affected it? I mean, I'm so, you know, aspect. we we're local owners, so we own things like office buildings, and strip centers, and it's, you know, it's been tough. A lot of our tenants, you know, they're just local businesses, barbershops, nail salons, and frankly, they don't have the business and they're having trouble paying their rent. And we have to work with them. We've given a lot of free rent to our tenants, hoping just to keep them alive to see another day. And it's been tough, but, you know, we're seeing signs of recovery. We're hoping sort of just to see it through to the other end, and then we'll take it from there. But it's been a challenge. And what we see every day, as we say on Main Street, is not what you're seeing on Wall Street with you know, Amazon and Microsoft booming. The little companies out there are really struggling. Yeah, I was going to say, you probably are in the front lines of that. You know, you see, you're seeing Wall Street just continuing to hit all-time highs. And yet here you are, you're, literally, you're managing where these small businesses are doing business. And they're not mm-hmm. doing any business. You know, and so yeah, they they just don't have customers coming in the door. It's tough. That's uh, just, I mean, it's it's just wild, especially when you can when you start thinking about. I mean, look, if you're invested in you know the WalMarts and Targets and some of these big box retailers, you know, look, you're probably I, that's not financial advice, and I'm not a shareholder in any of these things. <laughs> but but you know, you're probably doing not too bad, only because 
they're the only ones that were allowed to be open for the, for the majority of this entire uh, pandemic, yeah. you know, so they were and clearly able to, you know, have crazy sales, you know? And that, but Absolutely. And I don't think you have to worry about Walmart closing down tomorrow. Whereas if you're a local barbershop, you might not have money in the bank to see another day. Yeah. Especially like I think about my local barbershop that I go to around here. I mean, like they had to hike up prices Mm -hmm. in order to just be able to meet the, the new standards, you know, like I was just a state flu. Yeah. I mean, I went, I went back for the first time, you know, I, was hurt, you know. I, I went back the, uh, the, for the first time last week and I asked him like, you know, you, they hiked it, I guess it was like a, about, about 25, like 20, no, about 20, 25%. And I'm like, dude, these, these prices are crazy, man. I can't like, I love you, man, but I can't, this is, this is kind of intense for like, you know, a 30 minute haircut, you know? And he was, yeah. And he was like, dude, like with, with the PPE and for, you know, just the time it takes to do that, you know, we had, they had to make up on something. Right. And yeah, it's just wild. It's just, yeah. I mean, I feel for our tenants, but it has a, it has a real effect on us because if our occupancy goes down, it really impacts the value of the building, the asset value goes way down and it affects cap rates as well and that it, it's tough yeah i mean from what you i mean from what you can tell like what when you when you're thinking about okay the economy's reopening you know these tenants are going to start to see some more traffic in their stores i mean what how do you think about your business going forward are you just kind of like still in that wait and see mode as it starts to reopen or do you start thinking like five years down the line when you think about commercial real estate and office well, buildings and all that kind of stuff? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, we've been in a period where we've been forced to really think about our business and where we want to take things going forward and whether, you know, this is the route we want to go down or transition into other asset classes because local commercial real estate. And as you can imagine living in Baltimore, Baltimore does not exactly have the best rep across the country and the city has really struggled and so too has the local real estate so we've really been forced to think about it and you know we've put a lot of thought into maybe this just isn't the right path to go down and we might have to diversify away and sell some of our assets and deploy it elsewhere hey man look you've been in the markets now for a while maybe it's time let's get let's get a fund going let's go you are, your brother's your brother's already a buffett guy you know you, you guys are aligned in that sense i mean I, hey, i'm sure i'm sure you guys have had that conversation at some point yeah I, I mean i always think about running an investment fund and i toy with the idea it's a whole different ball game taking on investors versus you know investing mine or my family's money but maybe one day one day one day Hey man, it'll get you a lot of soft shell crab at some point. You know what I'm saying? But <laughs> yeah, if you're ever in Maryland, hit me up. Oh, definitely. All right, so let's get back to your investing style. Um, sure. You know, as as you are now famously known as uh, both on Twitter and also your blog, the Garp Investor. You know, for those out there who don't know, what what do we mean by Garp? All right, let, let, let's start there. So. GARP stands for growth at a reasonable price. And to me, what that means is I'm looking for high quality companies, companies that I can be sure will be here 5, 10, hopefully 20 years down the road. They're going to be able to increase their revenue and earnings. They earn a high return on invested capital. They employ low levels of debt. They have strong balance sheets. 
generate strong levels of free cash flow, low capex requirements, and they're able to just they have optionality. They they get a lot of cash in the door, and then that gives them the ability to deploy that in whatever scenario they find to be the best return. And that gives me, as an investor, a lot of confidence in these management teams that they know what they're doing. Got it. Okay. So, what what are what are some examples? I guess you see. I'm not, I'm not asking. This is not a stock tippy question. I promise. Okay. Not your hottest tip or anything. Sure. 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 But but to to help those who are still trying to wrap their heads around what what GARP means and GARP type companies, you know, what's some tr- some traditional examples that you've come across? So. As I said, I'm already a Google investor, so I'll disclose that. I think Google displays classic GARP tendencies. They've grown virtually every single year since they've gone public. They have a fortress balance sheet. They generate tons and tons of cash every year that they can redeploy at high rates. They're just a phenomenal company. But, you know, it's not just these high flyers. We can look at some companies that are a little less on the radar. Let's look at Sherwin-Williams, the paint company. Full disclosure, I'm also a Sherwin-Williams investor. Every year, they're able to uh, raise revenue and earnings. They have a strong dividend, but look at the way paint is done. When you buy paint, it's done by a contractor every year. When you go to paint your house, you're typically going to the contractor, and the contractor doesn't really cost care if the cost of paint is 30 bucks a can or 35 bucks a can. What he cares about is that it's a good can of paint and it's only going to take him one brush to get it all done. So he passes along the cost to the consumer, but he doesn't care about the cost of paint. So Sherwin-Williams is able to raise the cost of paint virtually each and every year. And so too, they've made me a lot of money over the years. Got it. So you're also looking for companies that have pricing power, basically. Like that's that, absolutely. That, that, got it. Okay. All right. So as Buffett would say, a company with a durable competitive advantage that they're able to pass along those costs to the consumer. Yep. So would you say your your style of GARP investing? Because I've talked about GARP investing with like Maj Sway Don on here before um, mm-hmm. and a few others. You know, would, would you say that the way in which they you go about looking at businesses with this GARP mentality. Is it, would you say, how, how is it different from some of, or, or is it different at all? So typically investors camp themselves or place themselves into two separate camps, growth investing or value investing. Growth investors look for growth at all costs. They're looking for companies that can really grow the top line as fast as humanly possible. Value investor, investors are typically looking for companies that they think are trading below their asset value, that maybe they have more cash on hand than the entire company is selling for. I'm looking somewhere in between the two, that I'm looking for a really fast grower, a strong company, but I want to find something that I can buy at a reasonable price. I'm not willing to pay any multiple for these companies. I want to look and pay you know, a fair price, that if it's a great company, but I can get it at a fair price, I'm a buyer. Got it. Yeah. See that, that was going to be my next question when, you know, you're talking about taking consideration price, you know, how how do you think about price? You know, what's a fair price to you when you're evaluating potential buy? So eventually so, of course. 
<laughs> a fair price is always hard to target exactly. But what I like to do is sort of look at where the market as a whole stands. And, you know, if the market as a whole is trading at a 20 times earnings multiple, if I can find a company that I think is a better than average company, but I can find it trading below that 20 times multiple, it's probably a good buy that over the next decade or so, it's bound to outperform the market if you buy it at a lower multiple and it's a better company. Got it. Pretty, pretty simply put. I like it. Hey, look, the, uh, like, the, what, oh, sorry, you are going to say? Yeah, I was going to say, you know, every company is different. And if I find a really fast grower, I might be willing to pay more than a market multiple because I'm so confident in the business and I'm so confident that five, 10 years down the road that it's going to be a great investment. It's worth paying up. Right. So what? Are, so then that's a, that's another good rabbit hole we're going to go down then. You know, what, what would you say, sure. what are some things that you can see that a business is doing? You kind of answered this when you gave your Sherwin-Williams example, but like, what are some other things that give you that confidence that let's say that, the, you know, the, the price of that, of that business is trading a, a little bit above what the market multiples might be? You know, what, what are some of those things that give you that confidence? Like, you know what, I'm willing to pay a little bit more just to, to get into this business right now because there's just so much growth here. So the number one thing to me is probably return on invested capital. When I, I sometimes use a screener and when I screen for companies, I'll set my bottom mark at a 15% return on invested capital that I won't even look at a company that falls below that. And then what I'll do is I'll take that whole group of companies and I'll look at earnings growth for the last 10 years. And I want to see that they're able to grow earnings each and every year for the last 10 years. And if they're not able to do that, I just move on to the next company. And over the course of time, you whittle down these companies. You take a list of 1,000 and it goes to 500 and 200. And then you whittle it down and whittle it down. And then you're left with 10 to 20 companies that are in your investable universe. Gotcha. All right. Well, I also wanted to cover, you know, you you have a blog, The Garp Investor, and you you uh, you have your your 10K portfolio. Tell us a little bit about that and, and, and how'd you do? This is some humble bragging time, man. Let's go. Yeah. So I decided to get into the blog game. I thought it would help myself. You know, putting my words on paper really helps me through my thought process that if you can't write about why you want to buy a stock, you probably shouldn't be investing in it. You have to elaborate on why the fundamentals make sense and why it's a good buy at those prices. So I decided to start a blog. And one project I thought I could do is start a real-time portfolio in the public eye. So I took $10,000 of my own money and put it into the market. And then I track it against the S&P 500. So, so far, I started what? two and a half years ago or so, that $10,000 is now a little over $15,000. And I've outperformed the S&P 500 built by a little bit. So, so far, it's been worth me taking the time of actually investing rather than just putting it in the S&P. Let's hope it stays that way. Very good. So, I mean, what were some reasons for, I mean, what, what were some of the core holdings that, that got you there? I guess I'd, I'd say. Yeah, so well, some you of my Apple, holding, Google, Sherwin Williams, right? Yeah, so actually, 
I don't own Sherwin Williams in that portfolio, but in my personal oh, okay. portfolio outside of that, because a lot of what I bought in that portfolio was dependent on what prices are at at the time. For instance, I love Visa and MasterCard. I think they're some of the best companies you could possibly ever find. I don't own them in that portfolio because I just didn't see any good entry points. In my own personal portfolio, I got into them you know, five, six, seven years ago, and I've been holding ever since, but I just haven't seen a good entry price since then. But in my 10K portfolio, some of my big winners have been Constellation Software, Etsy, as I said, Google, Microsoft. So, you know, a lot of these big name, large cap, even mega cap companies that everyone in the world knows them. But what I don't think people appreciate is really how big these companies can get and how much earnings power they really have going forward. A company like Microsoft is firing on all cylinders. Satya Nadella does a great job. Earnings are growing pretty much faster than they've ever grown in the company's history. And it doesn't look like it's slowing down anytime soon. Got it. So, so do you do you tend to just look uh, in like the small, medium, large cap region, or do you look? We're a micro cap podcast. I'd be remiss if I can't ask. Do you look in the the small, micro, nano cap range? Um, I'd say I sometimes look. I try and find it. I think it's a little harder for companies to really exhibit what I call GARP characteristics that early on in their life cycle. You know, as I said, I like to find companies that have, can show. 10 years of stable earnings growth. And there just aren't that many nano or small cap, micro cap companies that have that reputable 10 years of growth. But what I've also learned is there's a lot of ways to skin the cat and there's a lot of ways to make money. And just because this is my style doesn't mean micro cap investing isn't great. I know of a lot of good investors who've made a lot of money doing it. It's just not my style. Fair enough. Yeah, no, look, it... It, you know your strategy. Like that's 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 just that's it right there. If anybody listening to this happens to be a new investor or looking at the stock market, just if there's one thing you can take away from this alone is just that is like own your strategy, learn mm-hmm. it, and and continue to hone in on it. You know, so just whatever works best for you. Yeah, I mean, I've seen it time after time that where I've struggled with investing and where I've gone wrong is when I think you know. This company, I really see some value here, or you know, this is really growing really fast, but its multiples really stretched. And I just get out of my circle of competence. And what do you see? My investments just didn't go that well. So I find when I stick to what I know, I stay within the GARP style, I do a lot better. And it's not for everyone. Everyone has to have their own style. And that's probably the biggest piece of advice I can give is. Just find what works for you and focus on it. Very good. All right. So you actually told us a couple uh, stories already that, you know, really helped you in your career. But what would you say, you know, which, what would you say was the one investing experience or, or one, another one other than the one that you told us that, that has impacted you the most in your career? Uh, you got, I'm sure you got a few. Well, I mean, without question, the biggest impact on my career has been Berkshire and just reading about Warren Buffett and learning from him. It hasn't numerically been my best investment, but the things I've learned from Buffett are incalculable. And 
from Buffett, obviously. You learn about Charlie Munger, and then learning from Munger, you learn about all kinds of other investors. And it's a domino effect that one thing leads to another. And it's just given me both investing advice, but also life advice that they've just been around. They've, they're both in their 90s, and they've had great, knowledgeable lives that their wisdom is just unbelievable. Very cool. All right. I mean, how's this this last year been for you as an investor? You know, I mean, going through well, the pandemic and all this stuff. Like, were, did you have cash on the sidelines ready to rock in March, or you know, or were you one of those wait and see approach? So, one thing, my style is I'm always adding money to the market. Anytime, you know, I have money, I put it into my portfolio and I'm buying more. So, I actually was sitting on some cash last March when we saw the big dip and I bought a lot. <laughs> I bought quite a few shares of Etsy and that's done phenomenally. So this past year, it's actually been, my accounts have never been higher, but I think everyone can say that. The market's at an all time high. Most people have made a lot of money in this last year. And the question is, is this real? Is it gonna stay? Are we on the brink of collapse? Who knows? But Thus far, I'm doing well. Nice. I mean, how do you think about, you know, because I mean, look, you, you mentioned you had a couple of companies that you've held for five, six, seven years now. I'm sure there's a few more in your portfolios that you're going to continue to hold for that long. You know, so, I mean, I'm not asking you to be a crystal ball or Oracle or sure, anything sure. like that, but like, how are you, how are you thinking about, you know, what you're going to do, uh, you know, having that long-term horizon and, and, and just that patience and that experience? So in my personal opinion, I don't worry about market fluctuations. I, I'm a buy and hold investor. And as long as the businesses are performing, I'm happy to hold whether the market's going up or down. And if it's going down, I'm more likely to buy more. Now, I wouldn't quite say I'm never sell as some people call it, but I'm never sell as long as the business is living up to their potential that if the business is continuing to compound, the earnings are growing, I'm going to hold. If the business is really plateauing or falling, earnings are falling, then I'll probably think about selling. But I don't sell based on market fluctuations. Very good. All right. So, you know, we're, we're kind of rounding the bend here. So, you know, one of my favorite... Well, one of, I have a couple of favorite questions to ask, but, you know, one of my last questions to ask you here, you know... If, for those who are listening that are new microcap, or sorry, any kind of stock investors, <laughs> or or shit, even real estate investors, you know what what advice would you have for them? You know, uh, if they were entering the market today. Well, the biggest piece of advice I can give is just read, read, and keep reading. The more you learn, the more you know. And just like wealth, just like money, knowledge compounds. That on day one, you're not going to know it all, and you're probably going to do some pretty poor things. I, as an example, lost, as I said, $25,000 when I was 19. That wasn't fun to stomach, but I'm now 30 years old and I'm a lot smarter than I was when I was 19. And there's only one way to learn and that's to get started and do it. And compounding works best over the course of a lifetime. So the earlier you start, the better. It's better to get your butt kicked in the beginning, learn what you did wrong, and take it to the next step. Keep learning, keep getting better. 
Very good. Well, with that, Ethan, where can my audience go and find you on social media, read your blog? You know, let's give them all that info. Yeah. So the best way to find me is on Twitter. I am at the Garpenfester. And then you can find me on my website, www.thegarpinvestor.com. Real easy. Um, if you DM me on Twitter, I'm sure I'll respond. Really easy to find me. Very cool. All right. Well, Ethan, thank you so much for joining me today. I really do appreciate it. Good luck. Stay safe. And uh, I look forward to our next update. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good day. You too. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast. This episode of the Planet Microcap Podcast is brought to you by Friedman LLP, a top 40 global accounting, tax, and business consulting and advisory firm, providing a full spectrum of services for public and private companies since 1924. Contact Friedman when you will need to raise capital and adhere to U.S. standards. The Friedman Partners will work diligently with you to provide the financial assurance, regulatory, and transactional services you need. When the stakes are highest, Friedman makes sure you are well equipped. For more information and to get a Friedman free consultation, please call 856-830-1660 or email Neil Levine at N-L-E-V-I-N-E at FriedmanLLP.com. Again, for more information and a free consultation, call 856-830-1660 or email Neil Levine at N-L-E-V-I-N-E at FriedmanLLP.com.